And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Rebecca Tripp, also known as the metaphysical flight attendant. She is a renowned author, spiritual coach, and creative manifestress. She lived at 35,000 feet as a sky goddess with United Airlines in 1967, and her journey in the skies led her to encounter a world of glamour gods, playboy bunnies, first-class flyers, and spiritual seekers. She's also had a near-death-like experience, which we will talk about and more. Rebecca, thank you for joining me, and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. I'm so glad I'm here. I love your show. Thank you. It's one of my favorite YouTube channels. Thank you so much, Rebecca. So should we start with your near-death-like experience, or do you feel like there's some backstory that you want to tell us first? Yes. I'd like to tell you a little bit about um, the backstory of why I became a stewardess. We were stewardesses back in the 60s, um, and why I was so motivated to do it. Um, Because if I hadn't done that and stepped into the friendly skies, I wouldn't have met the people that I met that led me up to my spontaneous healing that I had in my mid-20s. But um, it happened when I was a teenager. I was about maybe 17. It was back in 1966. I was sitting on the coast of Massachusetts, looking out over the Atlantic Ocean toward Martha's Vineyard with my date. And, you know, we just pulled over and we were looking out there and we saw these blinking lights off near Martha's Vineyard that came closer and closer and closer. And as they got closer, we could see that each one was a saucer with a dome on top. And they were, it was, there were three of them flying together in like a V-shaped formation. They were doing the classic UFO things, right angle turns, making no noise. And they came right up to the shore. So we got out of the car and they were hovering over our heads. Um, And other people around got out of their cars too. And it kind of took my, it was really like a very awe-inspiring experience for me. I wasn't afraid. I was just blown away that I was looking at something that I said, well, this has to be from another world. Or because we hadn't had any word that our government or any government had been manufacturing anything like this. You know, we were still back in the days of airplanes, barely getting into the jet age. Um, So it was pretty interesting. And shortly after that, I decided I wanted to be a stewardess to find out where they were coming from. It was either that or join the military, and that wasn't really my thing. So I started applying to the airlines, and I I got hired by United Airlines and went to live in Chicago as my first base. And it was almost like that was destined because it was interesting. I I went through three interviews with TWA, Transworld Airways, and after the third interview, they sent me a rejection letter. For no reason. I even wrote them a letter and said, why did you reject me? And they said, for no reason. You can apply again if you want to. But I I moved on and I went to work for United and was based in Chicago. And um, when I was living in downtown Chicago, I met my first metaphysical teacher. His, His uncle was a very famous metaphysical teacher named Earl Schoff. And I didn't even put the pieces together until many years later 
when I heard about Jim Rom and how his mentor was Earl Schoff and Earl Schoff trained quite a few successful metaphysical people and entrepreneurs. Um, <clears throat> but his nephew, Ron Schoff, befriended me. And he and his partner, Dave, were always making a ton of money doing what they did. They were into multi-level marketing and they made a lot of money and they take, took my roommate Candy and I out for dinner all the time to these fabulous restaurants. So I, one night I was telling them I wanted to move to New York City because I really wasn't crazy about Chicago. I wasn't from the Midwest. I wanted to live in New York. And so this Ron Schoff taught me how to manifest my heart's desire. He said, all you have to do is write on an index card. I am now living in New York City in a beautiful apartment. And he said, you put it by your bed. And as you're falling asleep, you look at it and you imagine you are living in New York City. And you do the same thing when you wake up in the morning. And if you feel like it's already happened and you really imagine it and, um, you know, believe that it will happen, it will happen. Within a very short time, I was living in New York City in a beautiful apartment. Mm, that's great. Well, it made me realize because it was so effortless and it happened just the way he said it would, that this is real. And it was like finding the genie in the bottle for me because all of a sudden I realized your thoughts are creating your outer world, not the other way around. You know, we're always taught that we have no control over, over our environment and, you know, it's hit or miss or luck or, you know, all these different things, but it really isn't. It's what we're envisioning for ourselves. And that's basically the secret of manifesting. If you can believe it, you will ultimately see it. You know, it's not seeing is believing, but it's believing is seeing. When you believe it, it will happen. And I was so good at it that I would read an article in a magazine about a celebrity and bingo, they'd show up on my flight or I'd read a novel. And it was like I was living the story in the novel all of a sudden, because, you know, when you're younger, your mind isn't clogged up with all these things that we take on layer upon layer of events that we've, we've you know, attached to ourselves throughout our lives. So it's good to learn it when you're young. It really is. It makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> yes. And well, that was my first indication that the things I'd learned in school and even in my church, which was a Protestant church when I was younger, hadn't really clued me in on these secrets that, <laughs> that um, you know, we have this power within us to do some pretty amazing things. Well, as I moved along, I, I was... I moved out to California in my mid-20s and I was living in Marin County. And my greatest fear was cancer. Every time I went to the doctor for my annual physical checkup, I would be really nervous about whether or not I had cancer. So finally, when I was about 26, this doctor that I went to who was a gynecologist, he said, I want you to go to another specialist. Well, that specialist sent me to Marin General Hospital for a biopsy. And I had a biopsy. And then I got a phone call from my doctor. And he said, you have early cancer. We want you to go to Marin General Hospital next week and have a hysterectomy. And I just went numb. I mean, I'd never had any major physical problems. I was a happy stewardess, basically. 
you know, I wasn't happy in all areas of my life, but I was living a beautiful life, you know, doing whatever I felt like. And it was just a real shock to my system. But I had met a man who had been healed of a brain tumor through prayer. And knowing what I knew about the inner world controlling the outer world of matter and how you could manifest a place to live, a car, a vacation, you know, whatever you needed by believing that you'd already gotten it, I knew there must be a way that you could heal your body, but I couldn't figure out what the connection was, how it could really change the cells in your body if you thought a certain certain way. So I went to um, a seasoned healer, a Christian science practitioner. And the, the interesting thing was I went to her, her home office and she sat behind a desk and I looked at her and she looked like just a, an average kind of, you know, older woman. But as she started talking, I saw her morph into what looked like a Tibetan monk. <laughs> Almost like Yoda. And I mean, I, I've only had that happen a couple of times in my life where I've seen someone morph before my eyes. It's kind of like, wow. Um, but, you know, she just spoke to me in a very, very loving way. But when she made one statement after she'd spoken to me for a few minutes, it made perfect sense to me when she said, but dear, don't you know you're the perfect child of God? And perfect health is your birthright. Now, when she said that, in a nanosecond, I went back to my birth and I said to myself, but of course, I wasn't born with any conditions. So I must have created this with my thought. And I, I created it by having cancer as my greatest fear. Your greatest fear can come upon you. And that's what I had manifested. So in that nanosecond, I reversed it. I saw through it. I let go of that belief and I had a spontaneous healing. If somebody wanted to manifest money, would they be writing on a card, I make this amount of money per year? Or would they write on a card, I have this job that makes this amount of money per year? Well, there's different ways you can do that. And making money is one of the most popular <laughs> reasons that people go to YouTube videos. Um, here are some of the secrets to manifesting the money. Recently, I decided I came out with a course called the Mega Manifestation Method. So I decided to test it to see if I could manifest some money out of thin air. So um, I have a meditation in there where you get down to the alpha theta level of consciousness which means you've lowered your brain waves. Beta is what we're in right now when we're engaging all of our five senses and our eyes are wide open. But when you get down to that alpha theta and you completely calm your mind and you go within to your inner sanctuary and you close the door to the 3D world, you create within your inner being um, your sanctuary where you can use your imagination to believe that you've got a check for X number of dollars, or um, it can come to you in many different ways. I'll give you two examples of how I've done it in the past few years. One year, um, because I retired from my flying career in 2002, 
I, I was 56 at the time. When I was going to hit 65, my pension was going to drop down because I took a certain level plan that gave me more money till I was 65. So what I did was I started imagining a cornucopia over my head every night um, the month before the pension was going to change. The cornucopia was giving me more abundance, money. On the very day, June 1st of that year, which was the day that the number was going to shift in my bank account, I met with a friend um, who happened to be the ghostwriter of my book, Bryna. We met for lunch in Providence, and she invited me to a, a group of women called the Cornucopia. And it was on that very day. And I'd been meditating on a cornucopia for like three weeks. And it showed up in that form. And it was a group of very empowered women. And we all worked together to bring in more abundance. And it worked. So you never know how it's going to come. We call it outlining if you if you tell yourself how it's going to come. But just a couple of months ago, I did a video. I wanted to test my course again. So I went within. I like to go and imagine that I'm sitting on a beautiful beach in the Caribbean and the weather's just perfect, the temperature, I've got an awning over my head. I'm looking out at this beautiful blue ocean. It's completely calm. And I scratched a ticket. And I hardly ever play these scratch tickets. But the very next day I was in a store and I said, oh, I feel lucky. And I bought a ticket. I scratched and it was $5,000 the very next day. Um, now you can absolutely using the power of your imagination and your belief that it, you, it belongs to you and it's not, it, you don't have any blocks. It's natural. You can manifest whatever you want, but you know, there's a reason Jesus said, be ye like a little child. It's that childlike trust that it's going to happen. that makes it happen when you're, um, Analyzing it, like I, I was a silver ultramind trainer for five years. I traveled the country teaching people how to use their minds to get down to the alpha theta level of consciousness. And we know the left brain is the critical analytical, um, puts everything in compartments. The right side of the brain is the holistic, creative, intuitive side. And when you quiet the left side and you start to activate your right side more to use your imagination and you really feel like you've got something that you desire, it will show up in your life. Just like my move to New York and a New York apartment showed up. I mean, that's why I've moved a lot in my life. I could always trust that the right place would show up at the right time. And um, it didn't bother me to stay in one place forever. I was looking at your YouTube channel and I saw videos about the Silva method. And I was right. wondering if you're still practicing that method. Oh, I practice it every single day. I go to the alpha level. And, you know, one of the best times to practice creative visualization is when you're falling asleep at night. You can do something called the mental video technique. And you just get totally relaxed as you're thinking about going to sleep, you go within and you imagine that you have a screen in front of your eyelids and you create a movie, a video of what you desire, but you step into it 
you're in that movie. You know, like if you look down, you'll see your own hands. You're not looking at yourself. You're living yourself in the movie. And the more you practice that and do that, um, your thoughts become things, what you imagine. And when you're programming yourself at night as you're dozing off to sleep, you know, when we, we get into that deep REM sleep, we were in Delta, where we're down at about three cycles per second. That's the doorway to the spiritual dimension. And that's where we connect with other entities, beings, people living in planet Earth that we might need to connect with. All of a sudden, someone gets a thought, oh, I should call Jeff, you know, and maybe it's the person that you need to talk to about something. You attract into them. Like I had these um, <clears throat> Russian women in my seminar in Denver one year, and uh, Russians are very, very metaphysical people. And I used to get a lot of them in my seminars, but she had some uh, real estate apartments that she needed tenants for. And there was a slowdown in the real estate market. So she used that technique to imagine that people were coming to her looking for those very apartments. And she said she rented them within like two weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, you can broadcast too. You can send messages out into the universe um, late at night and let people know, you know, I have something's for sale or you're looking for a partner or something, somebody, something you need in your life to show up and it will show up much more effortlessly. I mentioned in the beginning that you had an NDE-like experience and it was due to a car accident. Can you tell us about that? Yes, that was very interesting. <clears throat> One day I was just driving along a windy road and it was kind of, um, it had been raining. I hydroplaned right into a pickup truck. I was driving a Volkswagen Jetta with no seatbelt on. And it all went slow motion, like other people say it does when you have an accident. Everything just slows down. And I was thinking, oh, it's too bad I didn't fasten my seatbelt, but it was too late. So there was an impact. I went forward. I hit the my head on the windshield right here and I cracked the windshield. There was a hole, not a hole, but it was all cracked about that much. And this blood dripped right down to the top of my eyebrow and it didn't go any further. Um, I broke the steering wheel with my chest. It collapsed under me. The engine dropped down. I had a coin purse in my car that had a metal rim around it. And then it was kind of, you know, leather, but the the outside of it was was metal that was bent everything in the car was bent um i had to just sit there and wait for the the policeman to come i was you know i couldn't really get up and walk around but i never went unconscious but as it happened i clearly saw that whatever i was supposed to do while i was here wasn't done so it wasn't like i was ready to check out <laughs> And I was I was going to stay here, but I I was taken to the hospital in an ambulance because it looked pretty bad. But they X-rayed me from head to toe, and the doctor came in and looked in my eyes when I was lying in the um, emergency room, and he said, "You didn't even crack a bone." And I know he had heard the condition of the car because the policeman came in and gave me a ticket. Um, but. Uh, I walked away basically. 
Um, and I didn't really think that much of it, but I, I did keep my thought in that higher realm where there are no accidents. Because I had I had learned at this point from studying metaphysics that this is really a waking dream that we're living in. And if we want to buy into accidents, diseases, you know, um, bad things, and we go there, we can make them happen big time. But if we want to turn our thought away from that and focus on no accidents, no disease, being happy, being, you know, productive, living our purpose, um, life becomes more flow. And you don't have to deal. It's not that we're not going to have be tested. I think now, let me tell you one more story about that accident and the um, spontaneous healing. <clears throat> when I was um, first started flying, I, st I discovered yoga. And I remember thinking to myself, this is the fountain of youth. I could tell that these yogic positions and all these different things that you could do as a yogi were definitely, you know, very good for your body and your mind. So I was practicing yoga a lot in my 20s. Well, one day I was alone in my New York apartment and I was just lying flat on my back, resting afterwards. And I had this whole download of being a man in a hot, steamy little room waiting for a doctor to come in and save me. And he came in, but he couldn't save me. And I've had um, regression through hypnosis. Plus I, I sensed when this I had this download that I was a man in World War II, a pilot. And I was, I was shot down flying um, cargo to Europe, to the continent from England during the Second World War. And I, it came back to me when I had a regression. And I think that's in this life, I challenged myself to set up a situation where I would have to rely on spiritual healing, not medical intervention to see if I could pass the test for myself. And I, I can see where we set up things in our lives um, that we want to go through, even if they're unpleasant, you know, they can be betrayal, disease loss of money, you know, it can be a lot of things. Um, but we set these tests up so that um, we get to challenge ourselves to see if we can overcome it. Because once you overcome everything in the world that's worth overcoming, you're kind of home free. Right after the accident, you kind of had like your thoughts or maybe your attention or your awareness on the higher realms and you were thinking that right. okay this is an accident but I'm not going to be injured or what well actually that see that accident happened when I was around 30 years old the the healing of cancer was when I was in my mid-20s a few years before and that's when I really opened up my thought to this higher realm because I was walking around for three days after that spontaneous healing trying to relate to people and I couldn't. I I was living in a different level of consciousness and everything was more beautiful in nature. The everything was brighter, the birds, the trees. It was absolutely incredible. It was like a light had gone on, you know, and it made me realize um the thing we're working with these filters, our beliefs and the our personalities 
allow us to see things through our own perception. But when you get rid of those filters, um, like Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within. You just don't have ears to hear or eyes to see until you shock yourself into it somehow. And you can have that shift in consciousness. But, um, you know, unless everybody around you is living at that level of consciousness, it's not that easy to function. I've read a lot of books written by mystics and people that have had these kinds of experiences. And many of them become like recluses or hermits because they, it's, it's the 3D world is very hard to deal with. But, um, you know, if you find your purpose, you can always offer something to the world. That's why I wrote a book and I gave seminars and, um, you know, I, I try to help people how to use their their God-given abilities to manifest, heal themselves, and do all these things because we're all capable of it. But it seems that in this 3D world, you almost have to have a big shock to wake you up to the realization that you've got these amazing powers. That's why so many of these people that have the near-death experience come back with a whole new outlook. But you can do it without dying, but you might have to give yourself a big shock. It can also be done with love. And if you're fortunate enough to, um, you know, just all of a sudden wake up and realize we live in a loving universe full of loving individuals. And if I focus on that, everything else will disappear from my life. That's not so good, but it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. Now, when you were having your spontaneous healing from cancer, did you go out of body and go to the astral realm or something? What happened was I was just sitting in the chair with the woman talking. And when she touched that cord in a very loving way, she was projecting a lot of unconditional love toward me. She wasn't judging me. She wasn't analyzing my condition. She was just, you know... It was all unconditional love. And that opened me up to the realization that I am so much more than my human body, my mortal body. I'm connected to this authentic higher self, me, which is one with the whole universe, I guess. But I literally felt this presence or energy all around me that opened up my some people have said, well, you opened up your crown chakra, you know, and you you went into the higher realm. Yeah, that's one way of explaining it. I mean, there's all kinds of ways to explain these things. But, you know, when it happens to you, you almost can't put it in, into words. But when I walked out of there, I wasn't the same person. My personality changed. Another interesting thing, like before that healing I had a moral compass to a certain extent, but I could very much see more clearly that things that I had accepted as being okay really weren't okay. And I mean, we look at the world and how crazy it can be sometimes, but you know, you're dealing with a lot of asleep people who don't really have a moral compass yet because they haven't had a spiritual awakening. You know, I'm sure ultimately we'll be living on a planet where the people that make decisions and and run the show will be more we'll look at them like well 
have they learned their spiritual lessons? Are they awake? <laughs> do they have a moral compass? That'll be more important than how much money do they have, you know, or um, how many votes do they, you know what I mean? It'll just, just be a different thing because the 3D world and the higher realms are are very different in how they operate. And But mm, I remember when I'd get on the airplane, sometimes I would know somebody's name without them telling me or their occupation. I became very psychic. After this thing happened to me with the spontaneous healing, very much more intuitive, psychic. I could even, I would take a deck of cards on a boring flight. In the back of the DC-8, there was a little lounge area, and I'd have a passenger take a card out of a deck of 52, and I could close my eyes and go to the alpha level and tell them what card they were looking at. And one man started crying one day because it freaked him out so badly. He thought I could read every thought in his head. Wow. <laughs> so did you go back to the hospital and they looked at you and said you were normal and you didn't need the hysterectomy? No. Uh, a year later, one year later, I blew that doctor off. And one year later, I went and had an examination. And the doctor said to me, you're perfectly normal. Hmm. Yeah. And that was that was that. I proved to myself. Now, the interesting thing was, I have brown eyes and I always had this little um, um, fleck in, in the the iris of one of my eyes that you could see quite clearly. Um, passengers would say, oh, you've got a little fleck in your iris. And I go, yeah, I know. But uh, when I had this spontaneous healing, that went away. It was like every cell in my body changed. It was very, very interesting. You know, they call it being reborn. I mean, I never really called it that. But but other things that happened after that, I felt like there was a waterfall flowing through my body shortly thereafter, like an inner baptism. Um, I felt like there was a big knot over my head. And I looked up Gordian knot once. And yeah, this it's symbolic of some kind of knot that you can have hanging over you. And it just started unwinding. And I started to see things more clearly, like what I was supposed to do and not do. And I had this inner peace because once you realize that you've got the power to heal yourself, you've got the power to manifest if you need to, um, you, you don't have anxiety anymore. That's the best part. You mentioned about finding your purpose. Do you have any advice for people to be able to find out what their purpose is? Well, you know, it's funny. I left my flying career a year after 9-11. Um, and that was because I got a message from, from, the, from the higher powers telling me it's time to leave because I was the number one purser in Boston with United Airlines. And, you know, United was the second plane out of Boston to hit the tower. I had bid that flight, 175, because I was number one. I always got my first bid. But at the last minute, I had a conversation with someone. I went to the computer and I changed to a different flight. I mean, I was that close to kind of getting on that airplane, mm -hmm. which was a little freaky, but I lasted another year. And then I decided to retire because I had 35 years, but it took me almost two years to find out what to do next because um, I'd done a lot of things throughout my flying career. I'd 
owned a modeling agency in New York. I had two boutiques, one in Newport, one in my hometown. Um, I tried being a financial planner, a realtor. I'd done all kinds of things, but none of that was interesting to me anymore. So finally, I surrendered. I said, I give up. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I can't figure it out. The minute I surrendered, I bought a book in one of my favorite bookstores in Bristol, Rhode Island called Be Here Now. She was having a big sale. So I grabbed all these books that I wouldn't have normally grabbed because they were all so cheap. I thought, well, I love to read. I might as well just get them. And one of them was um, the Silva Mind Control book by Jose Silva. And they just happened to be looking for trainers that very year. Like they just started reactivating it. So I got in touch with um, Alex Silva and became a trainer. But as soon as I read the book and I saw that they were looking for trainers, I said to myself, but of course, I love metaphysics. <laughs> you know, I want to do something along those lines. So that was that was what I did. Now, I have heard a male voice several times in my life. I've heard some of your people talk about hearing a voice. Mine is over to the left. It's a male voice. And the, the few times I've heard it, it has told me exactly what to do. And it was always true. And I don't know if that's my higher self or a spirit guide, but it gives me good direction. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Silva method is teaching? All right. Jose Silva um, did research for many, many years. He was from Laredo, Texas. He never went to school, but he was fascinated by parapsychology and consciousness. And he had 10 children. He wanted them to do well in school. And he began to understand that when they were relaxed and at that alpha level of consciousness, they could learn faster, quicker. And he had one daughter that he was doing lessons with one night and she started giving him answers before he asked her the questions while they were going over the you know school the next day. So he proved to himself that yes, we're psychic and we have these abilities. And he also found out that when you get down to the alpha level of consciousness and theta, um, just he he was a, T, a TV and radio repairman. So he knew all about how televisions and radios worked. And he began to understand that our brains are like radio senders and receivers. And many of the modern day Teachers and mystics are saying the same thing that Jose said back in the 60s. Um, you can send messages. You can receive. You can receive information from the higher realms of consciousness um, in any any department you want to receive it from, if you know how. It's, it's getting rid of the blocks. That's why you have to get down to the alpha theta level of consciousness where you're more open to receiving and sending messages. When you're at beta, you're not as effective. That's why meditation is key. The Silva technique is called active meditation where you're using your creative imagination to visualize what you do want. Passive meditation is something like transcendental meditation where you're just quieting your mind and, you know, listening. But when 
you're using the Silva techniques, you're using your imagination to create movies, pictures, um, things that you desire to bring into your experience. And you're feeling like you're living it. You're already, you've already gotten it. And once you do that, it's much easier for it to just show up in your experience here in the 3D world. Have you had any other spiritually transformative experiences? Yes. I've um I've had to rely on my my healing abilities a few times. Um another time I had an acute appendicitis attack after I'd flown from San Francisco to from New York to San Francisco and I I I mean I've never had such pain in my life. I was doubled over. And I had someone call a healer to pray for me. I heard that male voice over here on the, it's always over on the left-hand side. And the voice said, love that man with all your heart. And I knew exactly who it was talking about because there was a fellow in New York that was messing up a real estate situation I was in. And I was subconsciously very angry at him and not liking what he was doing. Um, and, um, when I heard that voice, I released it and I felt an, a release in my abdomen and I knew that I was going to be, I was healed. I didn't have to worry. And I, I still had to stay out in California for three days recovering, went back to New York, had to go to medical at Kennedy airport. And the doctor poked me and said, you did have an appendicitis attack and you know, you could have died. You should have gone to the hospital. But see, negative emotions like anger, frustration, jealousy, they can create toxins in our bodies. And I proved to myself, yes, they can. So you have to be careful what you think about. Who do you think the voice that spoke to you is? Well, I'll tell you something. I mean, I've learned from watching a lot of these videos that other people have done. We do all have a spirit guide that works with us. And I had. Um, what do they call it? An awakened vision. When I was living in New York City, when I first started my flying career, I closed my eyes and as clear as day, just like I'm looking at you on the camera, this man appeared to me and he looked up and he smiled at me with this unconditional love. And I closed my eyes again. I was just blinking like a normal blink. And there he was again. And I had two stewardesses in my apartment. We were just sitting around chatting. And I said to them, I can't believe what just happened. This man just appeared to me. Well, I think the voice and that man are either my higher self, because I guess we can be male, female, complete, or it's like a guardian angel. Um, it could be that eternal husband that appeared to me in the dream who said, I'm always with you. I will always be with you. I don't know. That's the mystery, you know, is people hear these voices and sometimes they're male, sometimes they're female. Mine is always a male. And it'll come through when, like one time it said to me, you're leaving New York by the end of March. Bingo. I left New York by the end of March and I wasn't planning out by my landlord called me up from Florida and said, you have to leave that apartment by the end of March. It's going co-op and I'm buying it. Now, he didn't even know that when the voice told me that. <laughs> wow. So there's a realm where they know everything. Another time the voice said to me, go work part time at the Christian Science Church in Boston. 
I got up. It was like two o'clock in the morning. I went to the computer. They were looking for part-time tour guides who were used to meeting people from all over the world and all this kind of stuff. I went and worked there for six years. Yeah. Hmm. That voice seems to know. And it makes me wonder if maybe I don't even, I'm always, I used to tell my silver students, all you have to do is get dressed and show up because <laughs> you know, your destiny will unfold and things will happen if you're in the right state of mind. I think that's great. Yeah. So you became a stewardess because you wanted to know more about UFOs. What did you learn while being a stewardess? Well, that was interesting because when I first started flying, I couldn't wait to just get up into the cockpit and say to those pilots, have any of you ever seen any UFOs? And I still remember... One one of the first trips I was on, I saw the first officer's arms just go like stiff as boards. And he, he didn't turn around and look at me. You could tell he was really freaked out. <laughs> and then finally, um, this one captain took me aside and he said, I have to tell you, we're not allowed to talk about them. Even if we see them, we can't report them. Because the government had told the airlines, we don't want you ever talking about them. So it was a big secret. But as I cruised around, I heard a few UFO stories. You know, it was always, well, I'll tell you something. Um, Those three UFOs I saw, years later, I had a woman in my seminar who was married to an executive with Lockheed Martin. And that's one of the companies that supposedly has reverse engineered. She said, I know for a fact that they've been reverse engineering them since the 50s. So she's, as she said, when you see them, you don't know if they're ours or, you know, from outer space, Mm. which I thought was kind of interesting. But, um, you know, there's definitely a big secret around it. Yeah. But I, I don't like secrets. I like to know. Like, that's why I wrote my book, The Secrets of a Metaphysical Flight Attendant. I like to dig and dig and dig. You know, and if I had a passenger on like that was FBI, NSA, um, a CEO of a big company, I would do my best to pick their brains and find out what was going on. I'll give you an example. I had a computer executive on. Now, I've been retired for 20 years. So I bet I met this guy 30 years ago. And he was a Japanese CEO of a big computer company, big one. And he was very charming, very pleasant to talk to. And he told me, he said, we are working on computers right now. Now, this was at least 30 years ago that look like humans and act like humans. They have the emotions of humans. I said, how can you do that? He said, well, we're we're teaching them how to respond to human emotion like it's normal, you know, the way a human would respond. So, you know, they got stuff out there. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Very highly advanced, you know. Is there anything about being a stewardess that you would consider being spiritual? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You know, because you're, you live in the sky. Um, You, um, you, when you lift off from the planet and back in the sixties, we had very, very light loads. If we got 40 people on board, that was a lot. That's why they hired all these young women that looked good. You had to be from 20 to 28 oldest. You had to be 
you know, thin, all this kind of stuff. Uh, that's the way it was. And they were using us as the bait because people were afraid to fly, you know, and the only ones that did fly were the ones that had enough money or there were no real private planes back then to speak of. So we got everybody on our flights. Um, you know, it was fun because we could pick their brains, but it was also very spiritual because when you get up above the earth, 30,000 feet up there, it's a good place to think, to, you know, meditate, to, um, get a clearer sense of things because you're above it all, you're away from it all. And back then, I mean, you could really disappear. Nobody knew where you were. Now, of course, you know, everybody's tracked. So that was kind of a nice feeling to just go disappear. <laughs> What's interesting to think about is in the old days when the plane had a smoking section, that was just the back of the plane. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. Well, you know, every flight was like a big cocktail party. That's the way it was. I mean, it was funny because we, we had to wear the high heels even in flight back then. And like we'd be running the trays back to the galley and passengers would feel sorry for us. So they'd help us. Like one one day I had um, Mario Andretti, the race car driver, was putting my trays away in the galley, you know, helping me out <laughs> because they didn't like to see us working too hard. So it was fun. It was it was really fun. I mean, I wish we could have as much fun in these times as we were having back then. Maybe they're having fun somewhere. If you find out where it is, let me know. <laughs> I guess another thing that I miss about the airport experience is just going to the gate and, you know, waiting for someone to arrive or being there when someone leaves. And those days are long gone. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. It was um, it was an adventure. The flight itself was part of the party and the vacation. You know, that was one of the best parts because it was like a big party on board with really good food and you know, everybody was in a good mood. It was fun. So you have a YouTube channel now. What's the name yeah. of it? I have a channel called Inner Power Training. And um, I have about 300 videos on it. But I like to share with people spiritual healing, manifesting, um, and things like that. So I also have my book, Secrets of a Metaphysical Flight Attendant which came out in 2014. And if they want a signed copy, if they go to my website, RebeccaTripp.com, um, and fill out the form there, I'll send them a signed copy. And it's a lot cheaper than buying it on Amazon. It makes a great gift too. It's got a lot of juicy little airline stories in it, but it's also a kind of a spiritually transformative book. If people want to reach out to you and ask you questions, where should they do that? Oh, absolutely. If they go to my website, RebeccaTripp.com, they'll find my email address and um, yeah, they can absolutely reach out. Yeah, it'd be great. Rebecca, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? The thing that I learned too from my spiritual adventures, one of the ones that I had, I, I actually felt this amazing energy pumping out of my heart chakra one time when I was working on another healing. And it was so powerful. At the same time it was happening, I had this amazing insight. It's so simple, we overlook it. God is within us. We are the children of God. We have these amazing powers. We can solve any problem we need to solve once we go within. And the simplicity of it is what um, 
keeps us from almost noticing it. You know, and at the same moment, I realized I don't need to go to all these bookstores and wait for the book to drop on my head. All the wisdom is within. And once you get that, you're kind of like home free. (laughs) Rebecca, thank you for that message. And thank you for being my guest. Well, thank you, Jeff. I really enjoyed it. It was great. Me too. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.